Welcome to the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 61. I'm your host, Dill, and today we sit down with four-fifths of the band Ra Ra Riot, who formed back in 2006 at my alma mater, Syracuse University, and have just released their fifth full-length album called Super Bloom on August 9th. I met up with singer Wes Miles, bassist Matthew Santos, guitarist Milo Bonacci, I hope I'm saying that right, he was the farthest from the mic, so you might strain to hear him a little bit, and drummer Kenny Bernard, who joined us in the middle of our talk. The band was on the tail end of the Summer Gods Tour supporting Jimmy Eat World and Third Eye Blind, and our conversation about the importance of hiring a lawyer, eating too much sushi before a big gig, and whether videos are worth the cost and effort anymore went a little something like this. Um, so are all three of you Syracuse grads? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I'm an alumni, so okay. that's one of the things that when I saw you guys were coming, I'm like, oh, i got to get these guys. <laughs> um, but all three, where are you guys all from originally? Uh, Massachusetts. Okay, that's Jersey. Matt. I'm from Western New York. You're from Geneva, right? Yeah. Okay. Near Syracuse. Right, right. I'm from Cortland. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I talked to Matt McGinney uh, probably last summer this time of uh, – so one of the things I, I, I know you were part of um, Gym Class Heroes at one point, right? That's right yeah. at, w- at what point did you record with them and all? I know they did a lot of like home recordings. I forget they did um, like uh, head was, candy and greasy kid stuff. Were you part uh, of that? Yeah, I was a part of the first couple records, but okay. sort of right before they they got upstreamed, I was I left and finished <laughs> school instead. Right. I read somewhere there was a, uh, a you had to go to, not, it was a Tuscany, not Tuscany, uh, Florence? Yeah, it was to in, study. Yeah, it was okay. in two summer or two semesters abroad, and it was, yeah, one of those things. Finish or, finish school or go on with the band. So, okay. Yeah. Very interesting, very interesting uh, trajectory. Um, and then you guys got together late in school, were you guys, was it junior, are you guys all the same... Same year? No. It, yeah, it was most everyone's last semester. Yeah. I was a year younger than you guys. And you had a five-year program, so Milo was a senior, but a year older. Yeah, so. okay. yeah it was my last semester. What were you studying? Physics. Okay. Yeah, physics and linguistics. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Architecture. I was uh, doing painting. Okay, so, so you were in VPA? Were you in VPA? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, dude. Mm-hmm. Kraus, yeah, so, yeah. Stuff. a lot of a lot of classes in Kraus that I did not go to, <laughs> and Schaefer, yeah. Um, so that, that's what's interesting to me is just re, you know reading your story, and again want to get into the minutia of it. So last semester is when you guys formed. When was it? I mean, what happened? So it's essentially winter, winter to spring. A couple of you are graduating at that time. Yeah, yeah, like half of us were graduating or leaving. Mm-hmm. And was it true that you didn't know each other that well? Yeah, I met Matt the first rehearsal. I met Rebecca, <laughs> I think, the first rehearsal. It was Milo like a cluster of people that knew each other. Yeah. Like, yeah, I knew Wes, I knew Matt, but they didn't know each other. Yeah, Milo okay. kind of put everyone together from, like, acquaintances and classmates. But, yeah, the first rehearsal was, like, kind of like a meet and greet. It's like, what do you do? What do you like? Now, do you have any songs? Yeah. Anyone got any songs? Uh-huh. How did it gel? It seems so quickly. Like, was it only a year later that you guys... I got the feeling that CMJ was kind of a 
turning point for you guys, or at least you got yeah, you know, people in your ears saying you're yeah. onto something, you know. Well, I mean, I think once we, at least that summer, it was like, let's go on tour and see what happens, or you know, we might as well have a last hurrah. Right. And people, certain people had some jobs lined up. And then one thing just kind of led to another, and it's like, okay, we'll do CMJ and see what happens. But then, out of CMJ, we were suddenly talking to like booking agents and some record labels and stuff, and it, it suddenly became very, very real, real, or it seemed like obtainable compared to the few months prior when it was very much only a hobby, and we were just kind of doing it before we had to get real. This is like every parent's nightmare. <laughs> was it? A, what were your parents thinking at the time? Like, eh, you know, okay, go for it while you're young, or... I think, yeah. uh, well, I think for the most part, they were... I think my parents were psyched. They were very excited. Because I've always been, like, in bands and stuff. So another one that, you know, was actually doing some touring and uh, that they liked on some level. I think that was exciting for them. And I didn't really have much of a plan after college, either. I was, like studying I took like a few practice LSATs and I was I was like considering doing that. Um but I had no real plan. I kinda always thought that I'd like to be in a band, I guess. Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah but, funny. but also the prospect of summer to me it's like you guys all have to go home. Yeah. You know, did you guys do a DIY tour where you just booked it yourself and you know, was it like a tri state thing? Yeah, or? pretty much. Our first like tour was like these four things. shows over two weeks or something. <laughs> was like our first tour. The luxury of. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was funny. Yeah, because I was one of the the people in the band who wasn't graduating, so I still had a year left. So, but it was funny. The winter, we, our first rehearsal was like January '06, and in December of '06, I had gone home for like winter break, and I was like kind of miserable, and I like didn't like. I just didn't really like being in Syracuse. I was having a hard time in school, and I told my parents, I was like, I really need to take some time off. I don't want to go back to school. And they were like, okay, well, just go back and finish this year, and then we can reassess in the summer. And then two weeks later, this band started. And then, yeah, like you said, we got to the end of the first semester, and we're like, oh, this is pretty fun. Let's keep it going. So then I had to go home and be like, so remember how we talked about reassessing the future? I was like, can I go on tour with this band? And they were like... Okay, yeah, like, this is a good opportunity. Once you see it through, we'd hate for you to miss this. And then, you know, you do your tour and then finish school next year. 13 years later. 13 (laughs) years later. So when did uh, CMJ happen? Is that a springtime thing? Is that a... This fall. Okay, in the fall. So fall is the first year. Yeah, it only existed for about 10 months. Mm -hmm. And where'd you play? Do you remember? Like Continental or shows. Oh, just all, all yeah, over the place. Yeah, I think yeah. pianos, Shades, Studio CB, B, CB, yeah. um, Hero Ballroom, yeah, in Chelsea. Yeah, it was uh, all over the place. And how did that? How did you book those gigs? Our manager, who ended up being our manager for a long time, uh, just booked the whole thing. And I think our our whole mentality back then was like, you just you say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. You do every little thing possible, and um, you know something will pan out to a greater another thing that yeah. will pan. You know, so how did you get a manager so early? 
He was a friend of ours. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. We were rehearsing. He in the house that we were rehearsing. Yeah, we yeah. rehearsing in his basement. He was like, well, if you guys are playing down here, can I manage you? And we are like, okay. I was like, <laughs> he no was, one knew what that yeah. meant, but... He was a classmate, too, of uh, Rebecca's. And, okay. Yeah. Sounds like he did pretty good. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, he was studying... <laughs> yeah. You know, Syracuse has a great music industry program. Oh, was he? he was so he, he in was that? in that, and also Becca was, too, Becca right? was our violinist. Him. So we had... He was in management, or he was was, marketing. Yeah, marketing management major. Who she was in just like industry program. Yeah, so we lucked out a little bit. We had a little bit more business acumen, maybe, than a lot of college bands starting out. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then, how did it? How soon did it? You know, was it after gigs that people were tapping on the shoulders, or when did you know? When did the kind of groundswell start to happen? You know, were you back home and getting calls, or what? Yeah, I mean, it's probably just meeting agents like well we met our lawyer at cmj i think he just came to a show he heard some buzz about us i guess and wanted to check it out and uh and we met our like uh ex-north america agent and we also got like something in the nme i remember that was like a big deal and grable too right we met him there too yeah the lawyer Did i say yeah. lawyer oh, maybe yeah mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> uh yeah i just remember the nme saying something about like a show we played and there's a photo yeah there's a photo it was like kind of a yeah it was like a real nice spread for a band that, yeah you know, like top five bands to watch from yeah. cmj oh, and, and had a picture yeah so I think from that it was like you know it was a big stepping stone yeah. in a lot of because before then we had I think we did a little like fall tour we had done our like four date summer tour yeah and then we did like a slightly longer fall one that was maybe like a few weeks and that was like the first time I think people started coming to the shows who like weren't related mm-hmm. to any of us directly yeah. so that was sort of yeah because the the s- semester at Syracuse was really uh, fun and really good and we got like we were really popular on campus like more yeah. so than we like you know meant to be or cared to be yeah. so yeah we're just like alright and then yeah once people started coming to shows that we didn't recognize we're like well this is yeah when you get to the point where you have more fans than friends you're on to something yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Milo I know you took a job at some did you work at an art were you like a junior architecture or at like yeah, an architecture I'm, firm I mean funny because I started the Monday following CMJ, so it's like, you know, committed to that job with, as being my only option, and then CMJ happened, and it was sort of like, well, what do we do now? And, I mean, it took a few months for things to sort of yeah. settle down, and then by winter, I think we were speaking to some record labels and some more serious discussions. And Who are those with, um, the le- in, in terms of labels? V- V2 yeah. right. is probably the most uh, significant mm-hmm. discussion or ongoing thing mm-hmm. that we had. It's that was just like from winter 2007. Yeah, so. we just started talking tar- to Barsook. <laughs> talking to Barsook at that time, too. We also were talking with, like, um, was it Columbia Records? I think it was Columbia. We famously was... botched our showcase. Yeah. Um, but yeah <laughs> what, what happened there? Were you guys kind of against, like, the bigger kind of... No, you know, I think we were open to anything. Yeah, we were like kind of skeptical, but we were like, "Oh, a major label is interested. That's we're super take cool." Us out for sushi. Yeah, so yeah. that's what happened. They, it was like one of the first times we got like wined and dined, and it was on you know major label dime. So we, it was like a rookie mistake. We all like way overate free sushi, <laughs> like yeah. an hour before the set, and oh, no. and we were just out of practice because we were recording our EP at the time. So 
we were like in studio mode, but we just had this like showcase randomly in the middle of recording at the Mercury Lounge in New York, and we did not play well. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> That's hysterical. Have you told that story before? That's kind of funny. Yeah, I think once or twice. Not too often. We learned our lesson. And in terms of the EP, who is was that self financed at this point? Yeah, somebody- I think um, borrowed some money from you. I think, family, right? yeah, I think some family gave us some money. And I think actually, did Columbia give us some money, or th- Red Bull give us some yeah, money or something? Yeah, I think all of those things. So it was a real community. Just, yeah, everyone coming there together. Were, I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot of generous like uh, offers that were made. Just like you know, they were like, yeah, we just want to help out, or you know, just mention us when you do the thing. I honestly don't remember if it was one or both of right. those I things. I think but that sounds right to me. Yeah. And it was nice because it was like, yeah, no strings attached. Yeah. Money, which <laughs> these weird things happened to us early on that yeah. never happened again. We yeah. just kind of took up the stride. We're like, oh, okay, Red Bull gave us like, yeah. a couple of grand or something, whatever it was. This cool. is how it works. Yeah, this is how yeah, you make right. <laughs> So when did it become more, you know, you signed with, what is it, Barsuk? I was going to call them yeah. Barsuk. Barsuk. Mm-hmm. Barsuk, Barsuk Records. Yeah. Um, you signed with them. They put you, they put you right in the studio. They put you on the road. I know I read well, somewhere actually, actually they later. signed us oh, after later. we were already in the studio because we signed to V2 first okay. which was yeah. a, like a UK based label um, and they really wanted they were kind of pushing for us to be in the studio mm-hmm. as I recall and then uh, the day before we got to the studio V2 was bought by uh, Universal yeah and yeah. promptly dissolved so like yeah, all of our all contacts, of our contacts there, were, oh my god just like Dismissed. no longer worked yeah. for yeah. the record label, and we were like literally entering into the studio that day. Yeah, so we didn't know if like our checks were going to bounce or like if the advance existed or like. Right. But we were like, well, let's just start recording and wait until somebody comes in and tells us to, we have to leave or something. At this time, though, you do have a you do have a lawyer or manager. Do you have yeah. somebody who does kind of have a little foresight to be like, sit tight. I've seen this before. Maybe. Maybe, yeah, that error, maybe that error is not so true. But definitely been around. Well, he's actually still our lawyer now, Richard Grable. Um, yeah. He's One he's been around forever, so he he knew all sorts of ways to deal with it. Um, but for the most part, it was like I as as I recall, the money wasn't quite an issue, but we weren't sure if they were going. You know, like a lot of times you hear about people making a record and then nothing gets done with it, like it doesn't even get released. Mm-hmm. Um, if the label doesn't approve, and if you know the person that signed us just disappeared, and then they've paid for this record that they didn't want, you know that the people who acquired the label didn't want, you know, then we weren't sure what was going to happen if they would drop us after we made it, or you know if we'd be able to use it on our own or what. But it turned out they just they kept their rights to it and they let us put it out, or they put it out. I don't even remember. But yeah. Barsu came after we were already in the studio, and that's when we started. Because they were they're based in Seattle, and we were recording like very close to it, so they came and listened to some tracks while we were working on it, and then that kind of moved quickly mm-hmm. to them signing us. So how did you come to record so far away from the east? Um, it was Hadlock and yeah, Southwest producer. Okay, yeah. producer. Yeah, now, he, were any of those monetary decisions when you were weighing, like you know? Where are we going to do this? Who are we going to do this with? Or I don't how much? think that was that much of yeah part of it. Really. That was all kind of opaque to us at the time. And and again, going back to having uh, Grable, our lawyer, who, like you said, we still he's I think 
the one person who we still work with from the very beginning. He's been our lawyer forever. And he was, I think, the very first person we hired, right? Yeah. Which was extremely savvy on our part. We didn't really do it on purpose, but he was one of the first people who was like, I love you guys. I love you guys. I want to work for you. And we're like, why do we need a lawyer? Like, we're not (laughs) suing anybody, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that always should be the first person you hire. And again, aside from our manager at the time, who was like, you know, but that was more of like a friend of peer thing. Yeah. Um, that was the first person we like hired and we were like, yeah, why do we need a lawyer? But that should be the first person. Who answered that question for you? Um, well, we were just like, oh, cool. This high powered entertainment lawyer in New York wants to work with us. And, you know, and it's like, it seems like a passion thing because he represents big bands. So he seems to really like us. So it seems like someone we'd want on our, on our side. Um, but then we realized it was great because, you know, he's the one who keeps you from getting screwed over on all these deals that start coming to you because we didn't know what we were doing so yeah I have no idea how the money worked for that first record it was mostly just we liked we really liked some of the records that Ryan had done particularly that uh, the gossip record yeah we like loved like the tones on Mm -hmm. the production and yeah we met him and vibed with him and we were like oh we want to make a record with him and then it just sort of was arranged for us moving forward is that does that um, you know subsequent albums you know now that you're in the business so to speak and you know you know a little bit of the lay of the land you know how do you go about where you're going to record who you're going to record with is it just you know meeting the right people getting the right vibe you know is there does does money play into it when your decision making when it is i know you guys did something where it was like mississippi you did something in yeah. where was um upstate it's um which else the orchard, the orchard. where in upstate yeah. new york was the orchard Penyan. Yeah. Where's that? The writing and demoing happened in Penyan, New York, which is in the Finger Lakes. Okay. Yeah, just I should know south that. of Geneva. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like tiny. a Mennonite town. Yeah, it's really okay. small. Um, and then we recorded in Stillwater? Mechanicsville. Stillwater, like capital region. And we just sort of had the studio on lockdown for six weeks or something right. crazy. Right. Yeah, that was. our own engineer in really like had had the helm to ourselves and we weren't working with a producer in that own right. studio or anything was like are those you know, days gone in the music industry altogether where you are kind of kind of woodshedding together I don't know if they're gone I, I think for us we've sort of moved on to another fizz um, it certainly was like a a uh, fun way to do a lot of stuff then but I think now um, we're more like you know the way we made this this new record that's coming out in August is more like piecemeal you know location and producer and some of those are dependent on the other thing Um, but financially yeah it doesn't I think we're all kind of like well if if we know there's something we really want to do we have to find a way to make it work right you know and um, sometimes you can't find that way if it's too expensive but um, yeah I think doing this piecemeal thing was like um, certainly not a cost like not a conscious budget saving thing but is it I think it let me assume something. You correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys are in different parts of your life now, and not li- like at one time. Did you guys all live in Brooklyn? Yeah, where you could get together, hash stuff out. Now you guys are all probably in different places. Still, yeah. half of us in Brooklyn, but yeah, okay. a little more spread yeah. out. Yeah, we gave up our rehearsal space in yeah. Brooklyn because you know there's a money hole even when we all lived there. But. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. but a financial thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just more conducive, like, you know, I call it the Dropbox way of recording, but it is more conducive yeah. to, you know, you know, there's there's no, no shame in it, you know, but that's, you know, the modern way, especially when growing older and lives are going yeah. to different places. Yeah, Everyone is. has homes to get back to yeah. Yeah. hours before we're... We might as well have stayed together in the van for weeks or whatever. Didn't have yeah. to rush back to. Yeah, yeah, so. definitely. It's funny. I came across um, a blog. Where is it? Your, uh, I think your front of the house sound guy put together a blog. Oh yeah, on the road with Robert Riot, oh, Andrew's blog, Andrew Murray. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was great. I didn't get through it all, but that's the type of stuff. Like when I found that, I was like, "This is because I think it was like 2008 to like 2012." Yeah. And his last entry was like, "Facebook and Instagram have won over." This is probably the last uh, entry. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it's sad too because he sadly well stopped touring with us around that time too because he was another like, I mean, still is like a a great close friend from Syracuse mm. but uh, he's transitioned into like the studio world now so okay. he's doing um, very successful run as like a producer and, and mixer um, but yeah but he was it was really fun touring with him because he was an incredible documentarian yeah it was great yeah. stuff I and mean, a lot of the stuff it didn't wasn't unfortunately it wasn't loading but uh, uh, it's great to get that glimpsed glimpse behind the scenes and yeah. you know, there were there were a bunch of videos that seemed like you guys played a lot of uh, wiffle ball at times and uh, <laughs> oh yeah um, yeah, in a way, back then it was easier to be like really goofy on the, you know, in front of a camera because you're you're not sure how many people are going to see it. Whereas now oh, it's exactly. like you have to have, put your public face on That's before funny. you you know take the camera out. And it's one thing that stuck out. It's I believe it's you, Matt. I don't know if it's Milo too. But you guys are singing uh, a third eye blinds. Oh yeah, song. that was a, a duet I performed with uh, Taylor from Givers. I oh, okay. we were slow dancing, I believe, singing. Uh, How's it going to be? Gonna be? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that in the uh, at the Vancouver venue. Very, yeah, because very serendipitous. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah, I've been meaning to actually text him because we we toured with Givers a lot over those couple of years, and that was something we shared was our mutual um, love of Third Eye Blind. That's funny. <laughs> Um, one of the things I wanted to touch upon, too, just back in the early days, it seemed like you guys, or I came across it a couple of times that you did extensive touring. Like, it sounded like you guys did yeah. more touring than most. Um, and also, you mentioned V2. I also no- noticed a couple of times in the UK. Did you guys find the first, I don't know what it, what it would be, but the you know, first time out, you guys were road warriors? Well... I mean, do you look back and think, holy shit, yeah, we were. We were on the road yeah, all the time. Yeah, we definitely or? toured a lot. I mean, I actually, I don't really know how much compared. I assume probably more than a lot of bands did. Yeah, but from like 08 was so to... Much. 2011. Yeah, and even and then 13 was like insane too. How many shows did we play in, like up to Yeah, Mila recently <laughs> did us a service and made a spreadsheet of all of our shows that we ever played. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, definitely we were like... There was some years. I feel like we were out. Like we played like two hundred shows. Yeah, we were gone like overall, probably like seven months, all yeah. said and done, like away from home a year. And then yeah, we got to a point where it was after twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen was another like two hundred show year, probably, and we were like, we need to yeah relax a little bit. We're all just were you seeing. Uh returns on that and I don't really mean monetary but are you, were you seeing your fan base kind of react and you know familiarity and growth through that hard work I mean it's probably 
not that consistent because you know even in a year you do 200 shows you only play New York three yeah. times mm-hmm. you know or something but um, yeah I mean I think we were just excited to be able to you know someone wanted to pay for us or help us pay to get to the UK or help us get to Asia or something right and for us especially back then it was like well a free trip anywhere like, sure. we're down <laughs> um but yeah, I I think it seemed like it was yeah certainly building for the most part. Um, but was, I that, think was that I'm sorry was that supporting um, what was it Beta? Sorry, beta, beta Love. Love. That was at tw- that was the end of 2013. Um, I think actually that year ended. The record came out in January, right, or February yeah, or something. Fe- yeah, and then we had a good tour. Well, I think the paradigm changed a little bit in that time. Like, when we first started, when we put out the rum line, it was like the world was just allowing bands to do, you know, a two-headline tour cycle, mm-hmm. you know? And even even bands that were not, like, necessarily, like, building or getting radio, it was just like, you know, people would go out to see them twice on the same record. Um but it felt like it changed a lot and then it kind of the cycle got shortened down you know you get like one headline tour then right. and you know and so we try and fill some of the other time with support tours like you know with um death cab or uh, you know i guess postal service was later shins but shins yeah, yeah postal service. so yeah great shows <laughs> yeah, yeah they were fun amazing tours yeah yeah, but, and and all the tours are really fun. I think we're just maybe we're just good at it, and we like each other enough that we mm-hmm. can handle probably more than. That's another thing that surprised me that that you guys weren't well acquainted. I guess no one, nothing gets you more acquainted quicker than a tour bus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> or a tour no, van. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's no reason we should have all gotten along as well as we did. Very lucky, but also I think that helps too because you know if you just get together with your best friends and try to make a band. You all have the same sensibilities, just kind of like copy the stuff you already like. So mm-hmm. it was fun being thrown into a room because I went out on a limb just introducing myself to Milo. I'd be like, cause he was in this other band. I was like, you guys need a bass player. I was just like hungry for people to play with. But yeah, I think just having such different personalities and sensibilities gave us a good like balance. Mm-hmm. Could have easily gone the other way, but sure. yeah, yeah, we just got lucky. Sure. And then, yeah, like you said, lots of time to get to know each other. <laughs> But it's funny how compressed time was, too. We were just saying early on in our career, because we were, like, reminiscing about these old tours, and we were looking at the the timeline. And, like, so many of these, like, what to me are, like, discrete chapters in band history all happened within, like, you know, six months of, like, 2009. It was, like, crazy. Now everything's so spread out. Like, the last tour was, like, two and a half years ago that we're doing this one. So, yeah, it was just, we were just younger. Everything was, we were just busy all the time, but it didn't seem weird or that hard yeah. I was like excited to be doing it when you look back do you guys share the same opinion in what the highlights were or what the best shows were or what the you know best countries were <laughs> probably <laughs> I would say like Lollapalooza was an early early highlight mm-hmm. it was like one of the biggest shows what was the lineup back then do you remember like a couple mm-hmm. of the Snoop Dogg headlined our stage oh That's yeah basically all I remember yeah I don't remember anything I, all I remember is that we played it like twelve thirty p.m. <laughs> and I was not. Expecting you got your day anyone. free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and then, but it was just like a sea of people. You know, there's mm-hmm. just so many. 
Um, and then, you know, probably like any time we played in Japan was mm-hmm. also a highlight. And then... Yeah. Iceland airwaves. Yeah. Stuff like that. And um, the uh, Prospect Park. Show. Oh, yeah. That was really That's fun, probably. too. It's funny, too, because for as many like highlights that we all share, we also play this other game called I don't know what it's called do you, rem- do you remember where like someone would be like you guys remember that show and like they'll be explaining it so vividly and no one else will have any idea and then we'll like look it up and we'll be like oh yeah it had like that green room with like the t-. and you're like no, no no that was that other place there's so many shows that I personally have no recollection of even a couple of weeks ago we did a TV thing one morning and we were leaving and I was oh, like yeah. oh that place was cool and everyone's was like well yeah we were here like a few years ago and then <laughs> There was just not a single moment of, like, the three hours we were there that I saw something. I was like, this is familiar. That's so funny. It's just gone forever. So we have, like, this hive mind where at least one of us will remember some part of each show, maybe. But who knows? Maybe there's a lot of shows that none of us remember. There must be, yeah. Unknown unknowns. It's on our to-do list. Remember those shows. (laughs) Did you see how many shows? Uh, Yeah, I was just getting a sense of... Shows per year. Um, we definitely slowed down in 2012. Yeah. And 2014. Yeah, we're getting to our late 20s then. <laughs> yeah. Even even years, 2016. So, how long has it been now? Year. 13 years, you say? Yeah. It's 13, 13 years and a half. Yeah. Wait. Oh, yeah, 13 and a half. Yeah. Do you need inspiration to keep, um, you know, youthful exuberance? Or is, <laughs> or is it always, you know, being an artist, you're always stimulated. There's always something that's, you know, going to make you excited to you know you know put in your own bag of tricks and yeah i think um yeah the sources of inspiration definitely change a lot and um but yeah you need you need something and if you so if you can't find it then you need time that's what you need you know like you need space and you know space away from your bandmates so that you don't converge on Mm-hmm. too much you know like Matt was saying about you know having a band with your best friends if you're all trying to do the same thing it doesn't work so um, and also you you both have outlets also yeah. from the band mm-hmm. right so you've got that um, yeah important yeah for sure yeah but I think you know this lifestyle too is sort of like um, in some way like arrested development kind of like Peter Pan thing so it's like keeps us young in a way mm-hmm. we're, we're it's funny like in like day jobs I have my like co-workers are always shocked at how <laughs> how old I am but like you know yeah. they like they'll guess I actually happened the other night at the merch table me you and Kenny went out and these fans were like oh, trying right. to guess our age and they put us all between like 24 and 26 <laughs> which is wrong like, thank you <laughs> which we'll just say is <laughs> which is quite wrong so yeah so I think it keeps us young a little bit but definitely you know you feel a little achier you get tired a little more easily you know the difference between touring when you're 20 and sleeping in a van all week and getting up and playing crazy yeah. shows is like so easy and then here you know if you mm. get a hangover it'll yeah. mess you up for like three days <laughs> yeah so it's yeah the pace is a little different but yeah the inspiration's always always there okay what about business wise which would you know the unfortunately the, or maybe fortunately but the music industry is constantly evolving yeah um you know how I noticed. I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but you did it. Did you do a video for your your latest? You guys yeah. have released two singles we off just, it. Yeah, it we just put out a video for About to Works. Yeah. Like, do you find that 
relevant? Like, would you guys have to debate over that? I mean, I saw your last, actually, your last video, or your actually, video for yes, Ocean has yeah. like over a million views. That's a good, it seems yeah. like, you know, that got, that got good reach. You know, I guess back to the original question, is that a, is that debatable? Like, do we need to do this? Do we want to do this? We do have yeah. that debate a lot. We actually. always lose the debate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, it's easy to question, like, you know, do, you know, is it worth it? Um, because they can be really expensive, but this kind of worked out to be something fun. And um, actually, Rebecca works for this company that did the video, okay. so um, it was not prohibitive. In that okay. Way. So uh, I don't know if we'll make another one for this record, you know. But the other thing is that you know the thing that Miles working on right now, we were working on before you got in was we're making lyric videos, you know, just like yep. a real cheap thing that has like. Um, just some visual component and the lyrics so that's something to uh, yep I, I think that's a that's a go-to for a lot of bands now. yeah mm-hmm. hi there how are you Kenny Kenny, Kenny. Yeah. nice to meet you how are you I just want to throw out this funny because my background's in advertising I've done oh, okay. commercial work and film work so okay. I looked at your video and just the way it's shot you had the yeah. uh, you know truck shots yeah it's like that was cheap yeah. I mean it might have been cheap you might have got it you know I know when you know yeah. people but it's like you guys you know the artistry was there you know the cinematography was there so yeah they were definitely pro level people I mean well not just level but pro people (laughs) that we were working with um, which felt great and also just knowing you know Rebecca worked for them that's like I think if we didn't have that connection it might have been we might have had more of an argument to not make a video (laughs) yeah every time we make one we're like well at least we'll never have to make another one (laughs) the format will definitely be dead by the time our next song comes out but actually the last two that we made are probably my favorites yeah Yeah, this one and then the the water one were came out good and I mean the delivery systems changed I mean I I I always lament about it I'm an MTV generation kid and yeah. We're always saying to our kids, like, oh, you don't know, you don't know, but it's like, hey, you just they just have it on demand now. Whatever they want right. to see, they yeah. you know, like type it out. Even when we were younger, like, I remember going home for lunch, like, my senior year of high school, and we'd put on MTV2 and just be, like, hoping that the Strokes video comes on, because, <laughs> you know, it probably was on the internet at that point, or you could just download it or something weird like that, you yeah. know? find it on I would do that I had a folder of like music videos I downloaded but it just kind of you know at that time it still felt cool to see it on TV like you know on my TV without (laughs) asking for it yeah for sure sure (laughs) so Super Bloom is coming out August 9th yeah what's do you guys have the next 12-18 months planned out for yourselves or we have the next six months planned out very planned out and then the, the next six months after that are I would say very loosely planned out okay I saw a little bit of a tour in December in the UK yeah mm-hmm. we're going back to Europe for the first time in eight years oh great which is cool yeah another thing that's that is a big cost investment but um, yeah we just kind of felt like it was time and um, we feel like we have we've been gone long enough that hopefully people haven't quite forgotten, but also right. want to see what. Is there any analytics that you guys point to that you know make you make you want to go there? Are there sales? Are there downloads? Or is there anything that can pinpoint that you know the UK is not a you know let's not forget about them. Let's go there and I think you know, just stir the pot a bit. Just the fact that it's so big, you know, mm-hmm. like we have a lot of fans. Like you know, we've only done a few shows in Portugal, but I always see like 
you know, just randomly, like one of our top ten cities is like Lisbon. Oh wow! And that's um, yeah, speaking of great shows. That was one of our best right, shows yeah. ever, I think. First Lisbon. But yeah, it's just like there's so many markets there and, um, you know, aside from just being able to travel, you know, it's just like it's a whole region of the world to write off if you don't go. And obviously oh, yeah. they're not going to be paying a ton of money if you don't make the investment. So right. um, in that way, yeah, we need to like, you know, really take it more seriously, I think. Mm-hmm. But as far as data, I don't. I don't know if there's... I'm sure that our manager has some data. <laughs> so he's not preventing you from going. So it's like, all right, let's yeah. do this. Let's yeah. do this. Just the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll um, I wrap up the show with five questions that I give everybody. So okay, I cool. can I need to do a, a, a round table here. Okay, sure. Uh, the first question is, if your house is burning down, everyone is out safe, what do you run back in and get that has the most sentimental value that has to do with your career? Or music, cool. probably my dad's Telecaster. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you, your family was musical. Yeah. Growing up. Yeah, he gave me his, his uh, Telecaster. I used to play in high school in like my high school bands and stuff, and so it has sentimental value like for me that. too. I like it. Um, I would say I have just a a box of old like Polaroids. I had a Polaroid camera camera that I would take out on tours. Oh, great! Has like a lot of. I would just paste them up on the wall just to, you know, see all the places that we went to. Where's your Polaroid, dude? <laughs> uh, you got to bust that out again. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I'm just found my old Polaroid, too. You know, do it. That's a lost art. But, um, yeah. yeah, it was just uh, kind of like a good way to physically recap on everything instead of just flipping through your phone and forgetting. Yeah, yeah I know. I like that a lot. Yeah. Tangible, something to hold. And fuck those drums are too goddamn heavy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got like six sets anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're <laughs> not even in his home. Yeah. The storage is yeah. yeah. uh, Sounds lame, probably, but it, I'd probably have to grab my hard drive. <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not the first. You're not the first to say that. Those Milo answers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, or, or no, my dad's. Yeah, us, right. Yeah, I took that. I said yeah, that. we already have one dad's <laughs> Yeah. We we all collectively have a lot of stuff on yeah, the hard drive. Everyone's yeah. interests are. That's probably our collective answer. Should yeah, be the hard drive. Milo's hard drive specifically. I'd probably have to go the instrument route too. There's like um, it was the first time like Milo and I got free guitars from Fender, so we felt like we were the coolest, you know. And it was like our dream guitars. So that was the bass I played like the next five or six hundred shows with. That's um, cool. So it's and I've never cleaned it once. So like the the fretboard is has like is caked with like mud. I don't know what it is. Grime. It's like covered in like you know all those shows. Every note I've played and recorded. That's awesome. That. So it probably you know lame sentimental uh, instrument thing. But my I have a, a tie rack also that has every laminate okay. we've ever had. So I have probably a couple hundred laminates. That, that those are cool. Too. Those are cool. But I would have to go with uh, Linda. Base. Is anybody like the archivist of the band? I said that word right. The arch- archivist of the, of the band. Probably Matt well, and Milo. In different ways. ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Depending on what. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, way you're talking? About. I have a lot of like. Yeah. Like I'll be more inclined to like save laminates or things like that. And, like, every version of every demo. Yeah. Every mix. Mm-hmm. And Milo's more like information archivist. <laughs> I guess you would say. Like, yeah. Like again, the spreadsheet he made. Okay. Something. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, between the two of us, we we cover a lot of the band's history. <laughs> oh, 
Question two is an easy one. Um, if I was, if, if Rockonomics was so successful that I was at liberty to give you guys a million dollar check to give to one charity, which one charity would you mm-hmm. donate it to? DSA? <laughs> <laughs> is that a charity? Uh, I think it is. I think it's non-profit. I don't know if it's like counts as charity exactly, but yeah. We've done a lot of collaborative work with Oxfam yep. throughout the yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. We have like a relationship with somebody there. Okay. So if they caught wind that you guys have a million dollars to spend there, (laughs) you're going to hear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bob knows you wouldn't have to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Question three is, what would your walk-up music be to the Pearly Gates? Ooh. (laughs) Great question. I guess this is very different from, like, what song would you want played at your funeral? Yeah. I feel like that's, like, the the heavier thing so for walking up the gates I might have to go with something from like a Pantera song or something <laughs> maybe Cowboys from Hell would be apropos uh, I like that you know, maybe some, I've been going back to Whitney Houston a lot lately being, uh, <laughs> nice which song exactly would you uh, I want to dance with somebody okay hey yeah, oh yeah probably I mean that's a joyous yeah exultant like, here yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to slide on it yeah <laughs> I feel like uh Joe Esposito classic you're the best around <laughs> whoa <laughs> <laughs> no one else is going to beat you down yeah, uh, that's true, true. in heaven you can be the best yeah, you can be the best <laughs> uh, I don't know running up a hill just popped into my brain I was going right. to say that too that would be a good, good narrative yeah. right, the flip it's side of that is what would be stuck on repeat in hell uh, ooh. Ooh. American Pie that's mine. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. You know what's funny? That goes back to Syracuse University. They played that at any bar there to death. Yeah. To death. You guys deserve uh, to go to hell for saying that. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's been my answer, yeah. Uh, closing Time by Supersonic. Semi-Sonic, yeah. Semi-Sonic, yeah. Kenny? Yeah, we can the same song. just get to hear it once. So, yeah. I would say... Yeah. Mm, Probably nothing compares to you by Sinead O'Connor. Wow, oh, I love that song. Oh, yeah. Well, I gotta. Th- I well, actually, it's kind Maybe of. Maybe it's got some bad I, history. I do like the song, but I remember as a kid it being on the radio just constantly, <laughs> and it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it was like one of those songs that was just inescapable, you know. So I feel like I do like. In fact, like the song many years later, but if if it was on repeat, I would. Uh, I can see that. Have the same uh, murderous dark, rage. murderous rage <laughs> if I was going to hell with that stuff. So, yeah. All right, last question is just simply uh, best concert experience you've had as a fan, seeing what's been kind of a religious experience for you guys seeing a live, live music. I think mine is probably seeing uh, Damo Suzuki and Cul-de-Sac play together at the uh, like WFMU Record Fair in... Uh, 2002 or 3 or something I forget okay. it was a long time ago and Damo Suzuki came out into the crowd and he, he was like shaking hands with everyone like in the middle of a song while like the rest of the band was like jamming out and um, I always loved Can so I was like just kind of starstruck 
And then when he got to me, he hugged me. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then he just kept hugging everyone. It was just, like, the most, like, joyous. That's so funny. That's yeah, awesome. and it was, you know, it was at a record fair, so it was, like, broad daylight, you know, probably fluorescent <laughs> lights, like, in the building. But still just an incandescent Tama Suzuki. <laughs> Very cool. It's just beautiful. Very cool. That's a phrase that's not used enough in interviews. <laughs> yeah. I would say probably uh, Rage Against the Machine and Jesus Lizard when oh. I was in a, a young young tot. That was pretty <laughs> of a religious experience. Where, about, where was it? Uh, this was at the Wallace Civic Center in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Okay. <laughs> nice. Um, in, the, you know, in the 90s, but it was uh, definitely That's cool. my life. Very cool. Yeah. Somebody just said that recently. Oh, yeah? Oh, cool. mm. Rage. It's hard for me to think of this of a specific show but for like Dirty Projectors or Deerhoof mm-hmm. anytime I see those bands um, that's a good awe. testament to them no, yeah, anytime you see them awe, it's a uh, humbled by yeah, yeah. their musicianship and artistry so mm-hmm. I, I've seen both of those bands and Delicate Steve is another one like dozens of times probably and Every time it's is Something super inspiring and or makes me want to quit music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those are those are all great answers too. Um, first, <laughs> but, but all great answers, but wrong. Dear Hope and Dirty Projectors did pop in my head when you first asked. Also, like the first time I saw you two was like pretty magical. But I think for like personally, because that's like a whole different thing, you know, singing mm-hmm. along. And it happens at these shows too. Singing along with like thousands of strangers is like super powerful, unforgettable thing. But, but for me personally, I got to see The Fall uh, twice in 2008. Um, we were on tour in England at the same, it was the last time we were in England, and their record had just come out that year, and our tour manager was also a huge Fall fan, and he had connections with them, so, like, got to see him twice in a week, which I was very happy about, because they never come to the U.S. either, mm-hmm. and then, of course, Marky e. Smith passed away last year, so never get to see them again, but those two shows in a week were, like, unforgettable. Front row... You know, and that's the experience we're always like jaded and like, you know, we don't like we joke about how we don't like music anymore during our shows, but when like seeing that show I was like, Yeah, I felt like a kid. Right. Seeing my one of my favorite bands in person and knowing it was probably maybe the only chance I was gonna have, so that was really fun. And they played one of my favorite you know, they have like eight hundred songs and at that show they played one of my favorite deep cuts from this that's way cool. old album. And like yeah, it was it was really amazing. I was like right. I was like two feet from Marky Smith the whole time. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. It's funny because you know as we got into earlier that you know the longer your career goes on, sometimes it's harder to find inspiration. But do you do you find like it does help to kind of get out there and yeah. You know, if you you know if you're singing in your couch one night, it's like ah oh, maybe I should get out you know go out and see a show or whatever it may be just to be yeah, reminded. That's part of the excuse to still live in Brooklyn. I think yeah. even when we don't really take advantage of much. Well, not all of obviously the perks of living in the city uh but you know a few of us live within walking distance of music hall of williamsburg mm-hmm. which is like you know we play there there's a lot of awesome bands that play there and so a lot of times it's like there's no excuse yeah. you, know, you just have to do it like it's a little bit of work to get there but usually i haven't ever seen like a bad show there so it's just kind of like yeah you need to 
do your research. You need to like invest a little time and stay engaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah to stay engaged and yeah. Yeah, I actually it bought tickets. I purchased tickets to go see MGMT a couple of months ago. Wow, just because I was you. like, yeah, yeah. first time for like years. Yeah. I was like, I just need to see something that I will like. Yeah. That'll make me feel yeah. good. Yeah, it probably made it worth it more that you paid for it to <laughs> yeah. more personal. Like, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, it'll actually, it'll, yeah. it'll make you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. plus like. I think touring really helps with inspiration too, just to kind of like see how everyone else is being affected by mm-hmm. constantly being in that situation. Yeah, and yeah. seeing how other bands do their sets too. Like even mm-hmm. Third Eye Blind, you know, we're we're a pretty different band from Third Eye Blind, but like watching them play and like the way that they make their arc in the set kind of informed how we did something on our headline show on this tour and, and how we will again in the next headline tour. I think. You know, it's hard not to feel something, you know, when they really take care to, to craft a set. So mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Well, everyone plus the fly here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <Special you>. guests. <laughs> Thanks so much for, you know, yeah. accepting me in your uh, dressing room and uh, let me Thanks for talking about shoot your shit. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Wes. Milo, Matthew, and Kenny of Ra Ra Riot. I went into the interview expecting to talk to one of those guys and was pleasantly surprised to get them all. So that was uh, that was very cool of them. Very thankful for their time and patience. As I said up top, their new album Super Bloom is out now and they'll be hitting the road stateside from mid-October through mid-November and going overseas to the UK for the first time in eight years in December. So get out and see them live. For tour dates and news, go to rarariot.com. And follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Tumblr. I like that. The little Tumblr aspect. As for the Rockonomics Podcast, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for news and guest info. And if it's not too much to ask, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. We'll be back next week with a guest whose last name I still need to determine how to pronounce. So join us then to see how that sorts itself out. All right. Episode 61 with Ra Ra Riot is over. Good night, Cleveland. 